You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 13. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be discussing how when you change your thoughts, the results will follow with Kim Aids. We'll be covering the main assumption you need to have as a leader and why jumping to the solution can actually be counterproductive, as well as two simple questions to start creating results immediately and much, much more. One of the most powerful tools on the planet is the ability to share our ideas through a conversation. It's these ideas that can bring us together to collaborate and to achieve our potential. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Kim Aids. Kim is the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching and Journal Engine Software. She's an author, speaker, entrepreneur, coach, and mother of five. Kim has over 15 years of experience coaching many of North America's most respected leaders. She is recognized as an expert in the area of thought mastery and mental toughness. Kim uses her unique philosophy and quirky coaching style to help her clients deal with core issues and shift their thinking in order to yield extraordinary results. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. I'm super excited, like genuinely really excited to be here. And I can't wait to be having this conversation with you. I've been looking forward to it as well. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation and see where it goes. And if you don't mind, I'd like to start out by asking what really got you into the field of working with leaders and organizations on mental toughness and leadership skills? So I've always been interested in leadership ever since I was in high school. Like I was involved in students council and all that kind of stuff. But I also studied leadership in my undergrad degree in psych and in my MBA. But more specifically, prior to this business, I used to own a software company where we built assessments to figure out who is a top performer, right? So our job was to work with companies and help them make better hiring decisions. And so we would use the concept of simulation to test for a variety of things. We were testing skill sets, we were testing personality, and we were testing IQ. So we would collect a ton of data to help companies say, hey, this is the picture of the, or the profile of the person you're looking to hire, and that person would be much more likely to succeed in this given job. One of the things we discovered was that no matter what the industry, no matter what the job, no matter what the seniority, there was one key characteristic of leadership or top performance that surpassed all other characteristics. And that was if a person had a higher degree of emotional resilience, they would be much more likely to succeed. So the question is, what exactly is that? What is emotional resilience? You hear about it all the time. But emotional resilience is your ability to bounce back from adversity with speed and agility. So bad things happen. How quickly do you get back up and recover? But then I'm going to take it one step further. Not only are people with a high level of emotional resilience able to get back up, they're also able to leverage that adversity, do something good with it, turn it into an advantage. So now, you know, I'm running this company, life is good then life kind of gets a little wonky. And I end up, um, I was in business with my ex-husband, things go wrong. And I end up selling my my company, my shares. And I get recruited by a coaching company uh, here in Toronto. 
And I'm thinking like, this is really cool. This is exciting. Their mandate is to help people live extraordinary lives. And I'm like, that is for me. It's in my DNA. It's who I am. And I go and I observe how they coach. And I think to myself, there's something wrong with this picture. I don't think they're doing it right. And so how did they coach? Basically, they had a call every two weeks. They would help business owners create a business plan with, you know, here are the 10 or 20 steps of the things you need to do in order to achieve your goals. And the coaching kind of angle was, as a coach, I'm going to hold you accountable to getting all your stuff done so that you reach your goals. Sounds pretty reasonable, right? Sure. Except in my mind, I thought, you know, people know what to do, but they're still not doing it. What's up with that? Totally. Right? Like, What's actually getting in the way? What's stopping people from reaching their goals? So like you and I, we know what to do to lose weight, but most of us struggle to get that done. So what's really at play? And that's what I was interested in. That's the problem I wanted to solve. And what I started to understand is I started to piece together some of the data and the knowledge that I had collected, which was that this whole idea of emotional resilience was at play, right? So And I thought, what if I could help people increase their emotional resilience, increase their mental toughness? What if I could help people build that sense of self that even when beaten up, they didn't have to take a blow so hard, that they could get up fast and move along? What if I could do that? And what if I could really understand how people think about their adversity and help them think about it in ways that was useful? So then I started frameline coaching and created a very, let's call it unique way to coach people that is not so traditional. And I know you have that background of business, the MBA and the left brain logical thinking, but really as Daniel Goleman might say in emotional intelligence, it's the emotional intelligence that really makes the difference between knowing what to do and actually doing what you know. The question I have for you is is that emotional intelligence fixed or can we do something about it? So, yeah. So, you know, just like abs, you know, some people are born with better abs than others, right? (laughs) Some people have a better metabolism. Some people have better genetics, right? Some people are just comes to them more easily, but there's no question that we can all get better abs. And there's no question that we can all learn how to build our emotional resilience. No question. That's what I do. Beautiful. And I 100% agree. And I just wanted to explore that for our audience through your eyes as well. And it seems like accountability coaching, when someone needs that, it's when they really don't need that because they're actually doing it and getting the results. And so what we really need to do is, is take a step back from the behaviors and trace it into the root cause about why they don't have what they really want, such as abs. Well, so this whole accountability coaching thing, right? It's a bit tricky. So from a coach's standpoint, I'm going to make a really bold statement. Nice. I think that accountability coaching at best is unethical and at worst is detrimental. Ooh, tell us more. So let's say you are my client and we get into an agreement, an arrangement where I hold you accountable. Mm -hmm. And let's say it works. Let's say you start moving things and you get things done and it's really good. 
what did I actually do? I created a system of dependence. Mm. Right? So now what happens when I go away? Do you still get things done? Did you pick up the skills, the attitude, the beliefs required in order to run on your own? No. I've created this dependence, which for me, from a coaching standpoint, is not ethical. My job as a coach is to create independence. So now let's go to the other extreme. You came to me for coaching because you want to reach goals. You're frustrated because you're not getting there on your own. So you don't feel great, right? And you want to feel better. You want to feel lighter. You want things to get easier. So now we get into this agreement where I'm holding you accountable, but something's still at play, right? And you're still not getting your stuff done. Now, how do you feel? I guess now I'm feeling even worse. Even worse than when you started, right? Because not only did you come frustrated because you couldn't do it on your own, now you're paying a ton of money and working with someone and you want to look good in their eyes, theoretically, and you're not ticking off those boxes. So the function of accountability takes a bad situation and makes it infinitely worse. Wow. What a shift in perspective there. And I love that you bring in the fact that the goal of coaching is to help them become independent. Because if they're externalizing that system of checks and balances, so to speak, then they're going to be with you forever. And that doesn't seem ethical. Right. It's not ethical. It's not ethical. So what are some of the skills that you like to teach your leaders or work with them on in order to help them develop that independence so that they don't actually need you anymore? Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to take your question and say it again. What are the some of the skills you want to teach your leaders? I actually don't want to teach them any skills. Okay, so crazy, right? Because what are skills? Skills are behaviors. They're actions. Mm-hmm. So the truth of the matter is actions come second. First comes thinking and beliefs. So every action you take starts off with a thought. So when I try to just change actions or build skills without lining up thought and beliefs, I get change that is temporary, unsustainable change. So I'm not interested in building skills. You want to go learn how to do something? find a teacher. You know, there's a a million online courses. Like coaching truly isn't about skill development. It's about helping you identify the beliefs that are inconsistent with your goals and helping you move those out of the way. So for me, I want to address thought. I want to address beliefs, perspectives. I want to identify the places where your actions aren't aligned with your values where you're at odds with yourself. And I want to get you aligned because when you're aligned, your actions naturally follow. And I don't have to influence them. I don't have to work on them. You do it all by yourself. I love that. So you're really tracing it back, getting to the cause, which is really in the thinking aspect, because it sounds like that's what frame of mind coaching is really about, the mental aspect. And in your work, you've identified that there are some specific mental traps that people fall into. Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about what those traps are? Well, there's a list of traps, and I invite people to check out that paper that I wrote. But but before we go into the specifics, because everybody's different and everybody will identify with a different series of traps, 
Like what is a thinking trap, really? A thinking trap is a belief that you hold on to, that you've developed and wrapped your arms around, unconsciously even, that guides your life. That's what it is. That's what a thinking trap is. So, so it could be related to anything. It could be related to your business. It could be related to your employees. It could be related to your life partners, your children. It could be related to yourself. Those beliefs that show up in all the different corners of the world will influence what you do and what you don't do. And those are the traps I'm, I'm talking about. So let me give you an example or two. Okay, so as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, a lot of times one of the traps is the trap of isolation. Hey, I'm in it alone. At the end of the day, the responsibility falls on my shoulders. Yes, I can delegate and yes, I can share, but it's not the same thing. It really falls onto me. And nobody quite gets it. Nobody understands me because, you know, it's my burden to carry on my shoulders alone. That's definitely a trap. Another trap could be the trap of limited resources. Hey, we only have so much money. And so based on that fact alone, we have to choose selectively and we have to forego some of the things we might like to do, right? So this idea that there's a limitation on what's possible. We fall into all kinds of traps, but those are two that sometimes show up. If I may explore a little bit, so with that in mind, there are limitations that exist. How does one differentiate between a limiting belief or a thinking trap and a reality statement, if you will? Well, give me an example of a reality statement. So the checking account has X amount of dollars. That might be a fact. And there might be a limiting belief that that situation can't be improved. That's how I would tease that out. Yeah. But there are finite resources in a finite amount of time. And this may be a thinking trap that I'm falling into right now. I don't know. I'm going to tell you something that extraordinary leaders don't think in terms of finite resources. They think in terms of accessibility to resources, that there is no shortage of talent. There is no shortage of money and, and whatever resources are needed. And it's up to them to figure out how to tap into them. And that they, how do I explain it? That these resources are not inaccessible to them, that they are entitled to have them, not in an entitled kind of way, but that I'm allowed to tap into these resources. These are accessible to me. And so that's how they think. So a lot of people, you know, they think, oh, I need money to make money, right? That's a limitation because if I don't have money in my checking account, oh, got to go do something else, game over, right? Whereas other kinds of entrepreneurs think differently. They think in terms of partnerships. They think creatively. They think in terms of, you know, what's, what's a win-win that I can create and on and on and on. They don't think in a linear fashion, right? So if I hear what you're saying, it's that they don't box themselves in with the thinking traps of this is all that I have. Instead, they ask better questions to get better answers. Let me give you like a really junior example, but never mind, it's still a good idea. Okay, so years and years and years ago, I started this uh, company and um, I was literally just moved to Toronto, lived in a two bedroom apartment, 
uh, I was pregnant and started a started a business. And I remember at the time, my husband saying to me, like, how are you going to make this work? You're pregnant. And I decided I came up with this brilliant idea because I couldn't afford employees, right? I said, you know what? I'm going to hire co-op students. They're free, right? They're free. He said, yeah, what are you going to do? Have them come to your apartment? Like, what are you going to do? Have meetings in your bedroom, right? And I thought, he has a point. What am I going to do about that? What did I do at the time? Again, like this is 25 something years ago, right? I went into a mall near my house and I noticed that there was an empty store at that mall. And so I tracked down whoever was responsible for leasing out that space. And I said, can I use this space every afternoon from one to five? Free space, co-op students can come, no problem. And they gave me the space. So I was thinking in terms of solutions. I wasn't thinking in terms of what I couldn't do and how my hands were tied, right? And so that's what I'm suggesting is that there are so many possibilities that we don't even allow ourselves to think about because we just don't think we can do it. We're not allowed to do it. They're not accessible to us. So if we trace it back even further, it's our school systems and our society that gets us into a fixed mindset, as Carol Dweck might say. And I love that example of going to the store and asking, because you never get something if you don't ask for it, and there was no risk, and you got it. You thought outside the box, and of course our environment can train us to think in a certain way. What's one of the first things that a leader has to do if they're stuck in a thinking trap to get out of it? So, and whoever's listening, write this down. This is a super important question you want to ask yourself every time you feel frustrated with a person, a problem, a circumstance, a client, an employee, a family member, whatever. Anytime you feel frustrated, go to your office, go to your desk and ask yourself this question. What do I believe to be true about this person, problem, situation, et cetera? What do I believe to be true? Write down all of your beliefs. And I will guarantee you that in those beliefs exist traps and limitations. You want to look at every single one of those beliefs and challenge them. Is it true that I have no access to money? Is it true that I can't find an affordable space? Is it true that my son is lazy? Is it true that nobody understands me? Is it true that nobody in my company cares as much as I do? Is it true? That simple question, it seems like it would start to tear away at the reality that we imprison ourselves with. And it sounds like once you really get that it's not true, that your son is lazy, or I can't do this and I can't do that, then what happens is you really open up to the possibility. And it's not about what I have, but how do I get what I really want? Exactly. Exactly. We've already talked a little bit about how leaders can make mistakes internally by boxing themselves in and limiting their thinking with the thinking traps. What are some of the things that leaders do externally or through communication that negatively impacts their teams? Okay, so this is a great question. Um, What I want to start off is by saying that I have collected a ton of data from leaders who own nice sized companies about their role as leaders. And one of the most important, or I think interesting findings, is that leaders who consider themselves to have coaching skills, 
are much, much more satisfied with the productivity and contribution of their teams. And it's a direct line, direct, straight relationship. So the first thing that I would recommend to leaders is learn how to coach, right? It's a game changer. Like for me, amazing leaders are also amazing coaches. I can agree with that. Okay, so that's thing number one, and let's lay that foundation down. The second thing is that as coaches, I notice that leaders attempt to coach, but they make mistakes. So let me share with you some of the mistakes they make. Mistake number one is they focus on behaviors instead of thoughts. Again, that whole idea of my goal is to make you do this differently, to change your behavior. And what I encourage leaders to do is to not worry about behavior. Instead, worry about thoughts, worry about beliefs. Make sure the individuals on your team are aligned mentally with the goals of the team and make sure that you're helping each team member achieve their own individual goals. And so try to find out what beliefs they have that are standing in the way of their success. So focus on thoughts and beliefs instead of behaviors. Okay, so that's thing number one. Number two, and really important is assume positive intent. So just because you think you see what's going on, don't think you actually know what's going on. And so take the time to ask, to find out, to be interested. Learn what's actually happening in front of you and don't make any negative assumptions. Assume that whoever's in front of you is coming from a good place and wants to succeed and wants to do you proud. Okay, so that's number one, number two. Number three, crazy idea. Empathy is a trap. I was waiting for that reaction. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my eyes were wide and my ears are open. I think, you know, empathy is such a huge buzzword right now in communication and leadership and seeking to understand in terms of Stephen Covey's leadership. Please uh, share with us. How so? You're like, what the heck are you talking about? Um, let's define empathy because I think it's very important for everybody under, to understand because I think it's a hugely misunderstood concept very misunderstood. So empathy is literally putting yourself in the shoes of another person and experience their experiencing their emotional state, feeling what they feel. It's not intellectually understanding. That's not empathy. That's intellectually understanding. It's not being compassionate. Empathy is defined by this whole experience of imagining yourself in the shoes of someone else, stepping into their shoes and feeling what they feel. So now let's say you're walking by a park and you see someone drowning in a pool. How do they feel? They're scared, freaking out, terrified, fight or flight. So what happens if I see that happening and suddenly I have empathy? How do I feel? I love where you're going with this. Yeah, I'm not going to be in a resourceful state to help them out. All of a sudden, I'm literally in the pool with them drowning, breathless, terrified and fighting for my life. And now instantly the action of empathy, that, that feeling of feeling their emotional state disables me from being able to help them instantly. So what do I need to do instead? I'm not telling any leader to just walk by and let them drown. That's not the solution. 
What I'm saying is notice that someone's drowning, have compassion, say, oh my God, they need help. But then stand solidly on the side of the pool and reach in and pull them out. In order for you to do that, you have to have some degree of strength yourself. Jumping into the pool with them, right, removes that strength. Absolutely. In order for me to be able to have that strength, I need to be able to envision them safely outside of the pool. I need to be able to envision them in a better place. And I need to be able to see what they're in right now as temporary. If I see it as permanent, if I see it as fatal, I can't help them. You can't help them. I love this. This totally ties back to the thinking traps you identified because if I identify them as being in a fixed final position and I'm identifying what is versus what I wanted to be, that's not going to help me out at all. Let me give you one more trap that leaders fall into when they try to coach their people. Leaders are leaders because they are action oriented, because they take the front seat, right? Like they, they take the charge. By the same token, leaders are solution-oriented. And so rather than going through the coaching process and really talking things through and understanding the beliefs, they jump ahead to solutions. They say, here are the things you need to do. And, and while their people can say, okay, I got it, their beliefs don't fundamentally change. So how many leaders say, hey, I told them what to do, and then they keep going back to their old ways? How many times have you heard that before? All the time. Right. So when, when leaders jump ahead to solutions, we're not fundamentally creating a fix for the thinking that caused the problem in the first place. We must address thoughts. Solutions follow. So jumping ahead to the solution is putting a Band-Aid on the deeper wound, which is not going to solve the real issue. There's a deeper issue that you need to address, which is the thinking and the beliefs. If you don't address those in alignment with what's important to the employee or the team member, then you're going to have the same problem again. They're going to be drowning again, and you're going to be frustrated about why do they keep drowning? Exactly. You've said it so well. Well, I'm just feeding back what you're giving me and trying to make sure that I have it. So in times of crisis... And again, I love that metaphor of thinking about the other person is drowning because the last thing you want to do is have that level of empathy where you connect with where they are so well that you're drowning with them. Instead, you think about where are they right now, where do they want to be, and what do they need to get to where they want to be? Where does the mindset come in? What type of characteristics or aspects of mindset does a leader need to have in times of crises or times like we're living in right now with the pandemic at large? Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest problems, and I see, you know, not just leaders, but parents who I think of as leaders too, is when we see someone else, I call it thrashing about, right? We tend to join them in the thrash, right? And so the first and most important thing is to step outside of that thrashing ring, the ring of thrash, and stay calm. Right? You don't need to join the process of thrashing. You need to step outside and really kind of think through what it is you're going for, what it is you want. Because when we look at the thrash, we're really focused on what we don't want. 
and we get distracted. And when we're focused on what we don't want, it's impossible to gain clarity on what we want and how to get there. Right? So that sense of calm is really important. That sense of witnessing what we don't want and leveraging it as contrast to get clear about what what we would rather have. That's what's required in this moment. Okay. So seeing where they are, not joining in the thrashing and seeing the possible future that would be a better fit for the mission and vision and what their goals are as an individual too, all coming together. Exactly. So again, I like to go back to this whole idea of parenting because I think leadership and parenting are very, very aligned. When you see your child doing something and in the back of your mind, you're like, you know, that's bad, right? Oh my God, what's going to happen to that child? He's going to sit on the couch playing video games for the rest of his life, whatever it is, right? When you start to think in those ways, what happens is your vision of your child gets impaired. When your vision of your child gets impaired, your relationship gets impaired because they don't like your vision of them. And then what happens, the relationship fractures, and then your ability to influence diminishes. See how that all worked? So my greatest source of influence over my child or my employee is to make sure that I see the thrash, but not focus on the thrash, not focus on the thing that I don't want to see, and make sure that I have a strong vision of their success, their well-being, their, their strengths, as opposed to their weaknesses. And I share that vision with them. So if we can for a moment, look at the reason why people do what they do. Have you found that there's always a positive intention behind people's behaviors? Well, so is there a positive reason? Not necessarily a positive reason, but there's always a reason. In other words, when we look at human beings, what is their desire? Their desire is to be valued, to be seen, to be appreciated, to be recognized, to be loved, all of those things. That's what people want. That's what I want. That's what you want. That's what we want at the end of the day is to matter. It's true. So when we see others in their poorest light, what do they do? They want to shield themselves from your vision. So they shrink, they shut down, they fight back, right? They defend themselves. What they don't do is embrace you. They can't because it's a self-protective mechanism. And so in order for me to get the best of my people, I need to see the best in them. Mm. And if I cannot see the best in them, I'm not the best leader for them. So you really have to be diligent and mindful which I imagine is also where the journaling comes in as a tool to become present to your thoughts about what's going on when you see the person drowning. Because you could have all of this mental chatter in your head, oh, there they go again, doing their pattern. And then all of a sudden, you're not being effective. Yeah. But to go back to your question, and I want to talk about journaling in a minute, but to go back to your question, like, why do some people behave the way they do? Well, they have a whole set of beliefs, perhaps about them, about you, about the environment that slows them down. It could be, well, I'm unsure of myself. I have self-doubt. You know, I made a mistake before. I'm afraid to make another mistake. Um, I don't really know what he wants from me. Or um, I don't have the experience. I don't know what I'm doing. Or 
I don't want to have a conflict with Joe, whatever it is, right? That's driving the kind of behavior that you're maybe not totally happy with. It's the seed of it starts with a belief that is inconsistent with their goals and the goals of the company. That makes sense. And so that belief may not be a positive belief, but it's a belief nonetheless. And so what we want to do is assume that, you know, everybody has beliefs. They're not positive or negative. They just are. And if we can get to the source of those beliefs as leaders and shed light on them and challenge those beliefs, now we create space for growth and opportunity in our people. From a conversational perspective, how do you recommend leaders go about creating that space? Because you've got to be willing you've got to be willing to open up and have a conversation and create that space in order to examine your thoughts, emotions, and beliefs. Because of course, if they're feeling attacked, they're going to shut down and not open up. So how do you create that space? I think one of the things that leaders would benefit from is simply take an interest in your people and ask them to share their stories about whatever it is. So, you know, When I ask you for a story, I want to ask things like, so what happened? Let's say in your conversation with Joe or Bill, right? What happened? And then what did you say? And then what happened? And how did it end? And why do you think that happened? And I want to get all the juicy details around your interpretation of events. I want to understand your perspective. And I think leaders often don't take the time to do that because they skip ahead to solution, right? They want efficiency. They love speed. But if they could just slow down, what will happen is inevitably that temporary slowdown will lead to a massive speed up, right? So take the time to understand the perspective of the person you're working with. Understand how they see things and where that comes from. So in essence, get the story and understand the beliefs that are fueling that perspective. It seems so easy when you say it that way. And I imagine that being mindful and being present is important because if you're anxious, then you're not going to be creating a safe space. Does journaling relate to some of that? (laughs) So when we coach people, we coach leaders, our, our target market is executives, leaders, entrepreneurs who run sizable companies. And one of the things we do is, so let me kind of step back. We always start off with a 10-week coaching period and we have a call once a week, but we record every call and we ask our clients to listen to the recording because what we want to do with our clients is help them become observers of themselves, help them start to pay attention to the stories they tell, the words they use, the beliefs they have, the patterns they fall into, their emotional state, their triggers, et cetera. So we are often operating without a consciousness of how we operate. We can't see ourselves. So that idea of listening to the recordings gives us the ability to start to view ourselves. The second piece is that we ask our clients to journal in a private and secure online journal with their coach. So at the beginning of the week, they get a question, a journaling question, and they start journaling. The journal goes back to their coach who then reads and responds to their journal every single day, even on weekends. So it's a very intimate and intense process, and it's designed to collect critical data about your patterns, 
your patterns of behavior, your patterns of thought, your values, your perspectives, your experiences, your upbringing, all of that. To understand why you're wired the way you are right now. And to really bring to light those beliefs that are inconsistent with your deepest desires, professionally, personally, and otherwise. Mm -hmm. Right? So journaling becomes the centerpiece of what we do. And sometimes, like for me, I can read a journal and quickly understand where a person is getting stuck. Because it's reflective of the thinking. And that's where it's at. It's the thinking and the beliefs, not the behaviors. Because your behaviors come from the thinking and the beliefs. If I believe that you're, you have ulterior motives, I'm going to behave in a way that is self-protective. If I believe your motive is completely charitable and um, warm and friendly, mm-hmm. I'm going to behave differently. Make sense? It does. So what I believe to be true drives my behaviors. If you're reading as a coach one of your clients' journals and you're getting insights into their thinking, because I'm sure that all of the unconscious beliefs and thoughts are going to be coming through in their language, how do you then approach that if there's something in there that you want to explore? Well, so what I do is I say, hey, you know, like through your journal, here's what I read. Is this what you believe to be true? And they say yes. And once they say yes, now I have the opportunity because they need to feel like I get where they're coming from. If they think that I don't understand them, if I misunderstood their perspective, then they're not going to be open to hearing anything. But the moment I say, hey, is this how you see the world? Does this make sense to you? And they say yes. And you say, is it possible that it could be something else? Is it possible that there's another thing at play? Is it possible that there's a resource here that you never thought about? Is it possible that this person intended something completely different? Is it possible? But also we lay down, sorry, one more thing. We lay down the the foundation of what we call our frame of mind principles. And with that framework, they're able to see a lot of different situations. What kind of situations are they able to see and investigate? So, yeah, that framework enables them to see how they think in the face of everything. So they're able to witness themselves and their reactions when anything outside of them is happening. So it could be when um, their kid isn't putting the dishes in the dishwasher. Could be when their employees and getting their work done on time. Could be when it's raining or someone you know is driving poorly on the street. It could be when you know revenues aren't up to par. On and on and on. So that framework enables you to observe how you're thinking, understand how it's affecting your emotions, and it provides you with the tools again to build up that emotional resilience. Like we all fall. We all have bad days, but the goal is to not have that bad day forever, is to pick yourself up, right? And do something with it, turn it into an advantage. And to do it faster, which is what you said as one of the key drivers for effective leadership. So just to kind of bring it all together from what I'm hearing from a big picture perspective. So really where we begin is awareness slowing down, connecting to the thoughts and beliefs 
because that's the basis of the behaviors, connecting where you are to the larger vision and looking for dissonance and exploring the limitations of their reality, asking, is that so? If they say, yes, it is so, then begin to expand their world by saying, is it possible? And finding different ways to push that reality to find a better, more harmonious way to achieve that vision. Because otherwise, they're stuck. They're in the trap. Yes. But I also, one of the things that I do is I say, is this your goal? And they say, yes. I say, does this thinking line up with your goal? And they say, no, it doesn't. I'll give you an example, okay? Like one of the questions I often ask people, and if you're okay, I'm happy to ask people here too. Okay, so I give them two questions. Question number one is, what do you really, really want more than anything? Question number two is, so what's stopping you from having it? Okay, so those are two journaling questions. They're very powerful, especially if you can go through the answers with a coach. So guys, work on that. Uh, and I'm happy to kind of, you know, hop on a call with you and review those questions too. But here's an example. I asked a gentleman these two questions and what he really, really wanted was to not worry about his family anymore. And what was stopping him? He said time and money. So here's what was interesting. The first thing I picked up on is he didn't actually tell me what he wanted. He told me what he didn't want. He wanted not to worry about his family anymore. And so we are not even aware of our orientation. He told me what he was fearful of. He didn't tell me what he wanted. And very often, we are wired to focus on what we don't want. We are wired to look at the things that are wrong in our world, the shortcomings of the people on our team. We are wired to feel that sense of frustration because things aren't the way we want them to be. But then we stay fixated on those problems, Mm -hmm. right? Just as an example. And I can really see how the journaling as an externalization of what's going on in your mind gives you a sense of awareness and ownership to really match up and ask that question, is this working for me? And to look at whether or not I'm focusing on the right thing and exploring where the gaps are. And it makes it really easy as a coach to come in because you're not providing the solution. You're helping them identify the solution which is getting them into the framework of being responsible for their thoughts and their beliefs. You take care of that and the behaviors take care of themselves. Exactly. I love it. Kim, is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you would like our listeners to think about or to consider going forward? There's probably a million things we haven't talked about. I know. And I would love to keep you here all day long, asking you question after question. And I also want to respect your time. So thank you so much for being here, sharing your thoughts and insights into leadership, communication, and responsibility, as well as a little snapshot into what Frame of Mind Coaching, as well as the Journal Engine software is really all about. So what is the best way for people to get in touch with you and to stay connected? So I'll say two things. Um, check out our website, frameofmindcoaching.com. And the other thing is, if you do feel bold and you want to answer those two journaling questions, send them my way. And what I will do is I will actually get you hooked up with one of our coaches uh, who will reach out to you, set up a time to talk, and review the responses to those questions and provide you with a coaching experience. 
So send them to me. It's Kim at frameofmindcoaching.com. And I'll put the links in the show notes as well. Kim, thank you so much for being here. And what a generous offer to our listeners. We all really appreciate it. Thank you so much. It was such a great experience having this time with you. Thank you, Kim. The pleasure was ours. To connect with Kim, go ahead and visit frameofmindcoaching.com. And if you want to take advantage of that special offer to experience what it's like to coach through the Frame of Mind Coaching process, go ahead and send those two journal entries to kim at frameofmindcoaching.com. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. To connect with us, find us on Twitter at Key Convo or perhaps even on LinkedIn under John Ryan Training.